welcome to the next episode of the American Filmmaker Podcast. On this episode, we are going to talk to John Hansen and Kyle Bian from Confidential Music. They are the top trailer music house in LA. When you listen to this episode, John Hansen will be the more meditative talker, and then he's more chill in nature. Kyle will be just a little bit more energetic when he's talking. John has been scoring for film campaigns since 2007. His work has been the sound of Star Wars, Harry Potter, Marvel and DC movies, Pirates of the Caribbean, Stranger Things, Jurassic World, Lord of the Rings, Mission Impossible, and The Hunger Games. So you've heard and seen a lot of John's work and not known it. Kyle has been mixing music for trailers since about 2009. His career started in the recording studios of Los Angeles and he has worked on numerous styles of projects that include records, games, and feature films. Kyle's specialties range from large-scale recording to mixing production and writing sound design. I just want to welcome John and Kyle to the podcast. Let's jump into this conversation and hear how John and Kyle met. What was the first trailer that you two decided to work on together? Dragon Ball Z was the first trailer production we were a part of. And then as the trailer industry works, you're working on a lot of things all at the same time. And, you know, a, a trailer that could be on, on the cutting block today that they are working on happens and then disappears for three weeks and then comes back. And so looking back, I'm, I'm trying to think of what the first finish line you and I crossed as a team together, that's a, that's actually an interesting question because and and comment Kyle you made because the first one that we actually you know probably either connected with or like worked hard together probably didn't finish you know, or become anything anyone else saw and that's just kind of the way the industry works. Um, I remember working on back when Avatar came out some of the the advertisements for Avatar and. And having a lot of fun with Kyle in that process, but not nothing ended up externally coming of it, other than you know us kind of figuring out what we love to do. And and so it's a great question, and also yeah, and that's a fun story. That Avatar stuff, I remember that well, working on that and really enjoying and loving what we're doing, and really feeling like we were coming up with this great stuff. And even the client side was liking it, and it was chugging along, and then we get a phone call that James Cameron said no. And we're like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, moving on. <laughs> and so we got to learn, you, you learn uh, to have thick skin and rejection as well, pretty quickly. <laughs> but yeah, I, I remember that, that those days of working. And then, if you fast forward uh, up to the birth of Confidential Music, because we were, when we were at Immediate Music, the production house, we worked on the swap and stuff. Um, but then once we were on our own, we uh, the first thing we ever did was, I think, like a seven-second little placement for the movie Red 2, that comedy. <laughs> and uh, it was a stand-up-based little transition piece. And that was, I do know for a fact, that was the first time Confidential Music hit something and then made it out to the yeah. public. That makes a lot of sense hearing you, because in a way, you know, you meet all these people on the journey, and then you're just kind of developing your creative flow. And then trying to decide, are we going to work together for more than than this one project? What was it about 
Kyle, and then Kyle, what was it about John that made you realize, hey, we could go on this journey, this creative journey to to kind of make music as well as, you know, work in this industry? Because I feel like choosing your creative community has been a big theme through the podcast. What was it about either a complementary skill set or just it fit? Because sometimes it just fits and you're like, yep, I know what you're thinking. I think it's almost like as important as the skills, um, if not more important, to to be able to work with the person. (laughs) Uh, And I, I mean, when I met Kyle, it was pretty clear to me right away that he, as individuals, extremely unique. As first, you know, like someone who was, I felt like was going to be a good friend. It was, it was cool to be able to relate with him in a way that was, you know, unique. And and we had that that we could develop a strong friendship, even talking the, you know, a way that was that we both understood very quickly. So. Um, that was a big part of it, like communication um, and the ability to kind of hear what the other person is saying and to internalize that. Now, one of from that side, Kyle um, has always been exciting to be around because it doesn't matter how like big or small the project is, it's like the most important project in the world, and it's all it always really is inspiring for me, who's more like easygoing, this and that, you know. So. To have like, no, we're gonna do this and this, and, you know, kind of like this excitement to fill the room wherever you are. So that that's been a huge help, I think, uh, as a team to have that kind of that energy in our partnership. So I, I consider Kyle, you know, my closest friend too. So it's it's super easy to communicate in that way and to be able to then communicate quickly into the music terms and he just ha- happens to be a fantastic mixer so it, w- it, w- it really worked out <laughs> yeah I, I agree I, I think that us getting along really kicked off pretty instantly which was awesome to kind of be in the creative world that's an isolated world outright but then that led to a, a very quick development of our shorthand language to speak creatively to one another which uh, through all, all the time we spent together when we were at the production company in Media Music we were in a 15 by 15 square studio, the two of us working in there for years. And I think that it, was, it never felt like a test, but I think we were definitely forged in the fire of uh, getting our communication down packed. And that has led us not only into a great friendship, but a, a very productive creative relationship. It's funny sitting here thinking about that, that question and then hearing what you said, John, about my energy level. And right when you asked the question, my first thought is, John Hansen does not panic. Where I have all this energy and I'm bouncing off the walls, John would, does not, you know, he is the most calm, cool, and collected individual in any sort of, any sort of situation. And, and sometimes in entertainment or, you know, in, in our industry, people can, like, people can panic. And these alarm bells start going off. And John will just slowly turn around in his chair and there's nothing nothing that can get his heart rate to raise and I, and I think where I on the other hand have like seven different contingency plans and I'm ready to go this way and if that doesn't work we're going to do this and I think that that melding uh, of our two personalities really has uh, has done well for us 
John was so relaxed. I first met John up at that, that session we keep talking about, and my I was still working at this recording studio in, in Los Angeles, and my shift was from uh, 5 in the evening until 5 in the morning. And wow. John makes an offhanded comment that you should come by this production house because, you know, we might think about hiring someone. You should come check it out. Come by on Monday. And I was like, oh, that sounds great. And I get off work at 5 a.m. and decide just to stay up because, John says, come by at 9 a.m. or whenever, you know. And I was like, all right, fine. So I drive out to Santa Monica from Hollywood. I see John. Hey, how's it going? You want a cup of coffee? I'll have you great. Thanks. And then we, he kind of gives me a quick studio tour, and we walk into the conference room, and the two owners of the company are sitting there. And he's like, oh, this is, you know, introduced to me. This is Jeff and Yo. And then John sits down on their side of the table, and I'm left on the other side of the table, and the two owners look at me and go, so did you bring a resume? And I'm like, this is a job interview? I, I'm sorry. And John's like, oh, yeah, man, it's fine. Don't even worry about it. I'm like, worry about it? I don't have a resume. Luckily, at the end, ended up working. But, yeah, that's one of my favorite. Just relax. John's story is like, oh, yeah, that's right, dude. This is an interview. Yeah, but don't even worry. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, we, I think our personalities complement each other across the board. How long were you working together before you decided to start Confidential Music? And then I think what's interesting is after you decide to work together, there's this other level of creativity that pushes you both to release an album of the trailer songs, which I actually think is genius. I mean, because there's so many people who release, you know, scores for movies, but at the end of the day, there's so much creativity and musical skill that goes into crafting this trailer music that it does deserve a life of its own, you know, outside of being connected to the visuals of a movie. The decision to start a confidential music was a, a creative growth decision, I think. Um, we, had, we had served our, our time under a great company called Immediate Music. That was one of the, the leading companies and still to this day is uh, in trailer music. And we were excited to, you know, as, as a lot of people are, I think, be our own bosses and see if we could pull that out on our own. And also, you know, whenever you're working for somebody, that's exactly what you're doing. And so we thought we could take our creativity and, and see how it would grow on its own. And through that, we, we've had, we've noticed a pretty interesting response from the world that people were paying attention and they were listening to the trailers and dissecting the trailers and commenting in YouTube comments about details that, that would blow my mind of, of how they figured this stuff out. So some details, I still don't know how they figured out version numbers of things and things like that. And we started to notice that probably about 10 years ago at our time at Immediate Music. And so here we are now putting out a commercial release, kind of serving those fans that instead of having to hunt around through trailers and, and pick what they can out and see if they can find it, give them a direct link to some of this music. And using that as kind of a cue that maybe some other parts of society would be interested in this as well and, and give them a, an easier access path rather than, you know, digging through YouTube comments to try to figure out cue titles. So it was, a, it was a little bit of an experiment on our part and one that I can't say we invented. There's a lot of great trailer music being made these days and some people definitely are putting it out commercially to a great success as well. But uh, we, we've always been kind of flattered by our underground fan base well said. <laughs> you know, I just go back to this idea that, you know, as musicians, as a composer, as producers, 
you know, you have one revenue stream, which is the service, but then there's also the products that you create, you know? And so being able to put that out as another potential revenue stream, you know, I think it's really, really interesting. So what were some of the early trailers that you did as Confidential Music? We early on got to work on X-Men and Avengers and um, Interstellar. Our intention actually was never to release uh, music publicly. You know, we really specifically and keep keep it, you know, focused plan in, in place to, you know, just create music for our clients and just keep the exposure kind of limited and stuff like that and and use it within that space. I think that I think that it was later when we realized both that like Kyle was saying, that there's an interest in in kind of it being more commercially available. But also just having stuff that has been used in campaigns from a few years ago or whatever, and that people are kind of interested to play out of context of trailers. It's hard to interest, take our interest in kind of well, can we, you know, can we make this available, available for public to download and drive to work with, or you know, or get themselves pumped up in the morning, or you know, go to the gym, whatever kind of like a lifestyle soundtrack, if you will, or, you know, just kind of like some way to to allow them that connection. It was interesting in thinking about it because it, it is very uh, purpose-driven music and the level of intensity in the music is, is very high, almost to a comedic point. It's sometimes for us so inundated with it that it's our it's our day job and it's John and I sitting in this room with this epically huge music playing all day long and, it, and after a while you do kind of become numb to it and then someone walks in the room like what are you guys doing in here and you're like oh that's right this this is pretty invigorating um exciting music and not that we're not excited by our own by our, our music compared to the music in general but it is uh you do start to become a little bit numb to the scope of it and so once we started realizing like john just said that it could be a lifestyle soundtrack and that people doing things in their everyday life can use that injection of energy. It uh, became more and more of a, an interesting and viable option to, to put it out. I guess we start we started this process about a year ago and thinking about it, and yeah, it finally came out. I listened to the whole album on Spotify, and that really came through. The other thing that came through was just, you know, the emotional roller coaster, whether it's calm, whether it's happy, whether it's sad. Uh, whether it's pure chaos, is something magical that music can actually produce in the person listening to it. And so in a way, that is very, I think, unique to trailer music, just the emotional roller coaster that you get to send the audience on. How do you approach a trailer? You know, knowing that the string section can hit a different part of the heart than, you know, maybe a drone or or a swell just to kind of build build that space that's a great question uh i feel like in general when approaching you know writing the music for this genre or for this type of thing i try to think in probably two different 
spaces. One is more uh, analytical. So a trailer needs to do this. A trailer needs to do that. The story needs to go here. People need to see this. It needs to be um, energetic. It needs to leave people hanging. It needs to, you know, all the, all the kind of things that a trailer should do. Those are kind of like the restrictions or the boundaries that you kind of work within, right? Like the framework. The second thing in creating what's going to create that mood or whatever is just that. I feel like how certain things relate to my emotional state is how I use them. So that I know that, you know, using a certain timbre of an instrument or whatever is going to create a certain emotional response in myself. And I try to interject that into the, into the piece. I think one important thing, I know there's a lot of people who are interested in writing trailer music or music in general for scores or whatever, is to actually to think less musically <laughs> in general or like I need to, I'm in the key of, you know, G major and so this is the fifth and then, you know, trying to get go to analytically musically. I think maybe structurally it's okay to be analytical, but... But that kind of gets in the way of, of an emotional center. I think I think that it's important when writing, um, and at least what works for me, is to just feel what something's doing emotionally, whether whether it be a sound or a pattern or a texture, and try to, to capitalize on that and just build that and um, and make sure that it speaks much deeper than just a musical figure of going from the one to the four to the five to the six. Blah, 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 you know, and knowing what it's doing musically, kind of like get outside that box a little bit. John excels at that. And an interesting thing, when I occasionally uh, write, as well as I, I do the mixing as well, but I, I do occasionally write, and John will listen through what I'm working on and give his thoughts. And one really interesting thought that's always stuck with me that I think is, is great when thinking about how to kind of emotionally approach trailers. I'm a guitarist and, you know, kind of indie rock background. And so, exactly, I, I write something that's the one the four of the six. The, and then John listens to it and he's like, sounds great. It's a cool piece of music, but don't change chords until you feel like you need to change chords and build this emotional roller coaster in that first chord. And maybe you don't, you'll never have to change chords. But when you finally do, when you find a point to change chords, it's going to mean so much more. And as simple of an exercise as that was, it kind of blew my mind of how emotional, how much more emotion you could find in music versus thinking, once again, that thinking analytical about music. You know, trying to put theory behind your choices versus really letting that all take a heavy back seat and kind of going along for the ride. And it's, it, it works brilliantly. Really cool stuff. You know, it's really interesting as I was listening to you, Kyle, and John, it kind of made me realize that in a way, John, you're putting in the emotional kind of colors and the painting and the hues that people should feel. But then also, I think what people don't realize is mixing is really important and being able to take those emotional hues and those colors brought forth by the uh, instrumentation and the composition and then making sure that the frequencies are right because you have to match the actual other kind of diegetic sound or the sound effects coming from the trailer. And then really we kind of cross over into Kyle's realm then 
you know, we've got the base layers and all the emotion is there, but then how are we mixing it so that it has this organic union with the trailer? Can you talk a little bit about the mixing process, Kyle? Because I, th- I think it's important, and in a way, that's what makes confidential music really unique because you're you're working together to create the end goal. Does that make sense? And that end goal is kind of witnessed mm-hmm. in this strange way. And like, until you get to hear it as a standalone song, you you know, all those things that you two put into it are really brought to the um, front of this audio painting, if you will. Yeah, it's a, I think audio painting is a, a cool way of looking at it in, in an interesting way. And it's a three-dimensional audio painting. And, and the fact that it's um, it's always a journey. I know there's, there's songs that are journeys, but a lot of, say, score pieces are a great example that they're moods and they're places and they're environments where a trailer is, is pushing forward all the time, asking a question and never answering it. And that poses an interesting thought from the mixing standpoint because when you have that first big da hit of the trailer you still got to go for two minutes and get bigger the whole time so the mixing side of it is a really kind of fun challenge of energy balancing and I, I think about energy a lot when I'm mixing and I spend most of the time in my mixes in the transition parts of the cues so that when we're going from the second part into the third part, I make sure that that moment is very unique, very special, and it's pushing forward. And I I always start at the biggest part of the queue, and and I'll work backwards, ensuring that everything is is constantly falling over itself and and expanding. And even when you have, say, you know, if you want to call it a breakdown or a a middle eight or a bridge, that still has to push forward in a trailer. So there's fewer elements in it, but how do you make that expand even more? It's an interesting and, and fun type of music to get to mix. When you're mixing a trailer cue, it's not only the balancing of all the different harmonics and frequencies to get them to sit together right and sound nice. You have to be thinking that they're moving forward and they have to be constantly evolving and developing. So it's a it's a unique challenge that you get to face while mixing trailer music and, and a fun one that keeps it interesting. I was curious, do you guys play music together outside of work or is there no time for, you know, starting a band? I'm going to jump in and answer that question. Uh, I try to get John to play music with and he is very good at it. But no, he does not play very much. <laughs> uh, but but for no other reason. How many bands now? I'm in a, I'm in a, I've been a couple of active bands. But, uh, yeah, and John, John is very, very busy, and I do understand. But if anyone out there is listening, John is a great solo songwriter, and we're trying to get him to put a record out one day. But we'll see if he can ever get it. <laughs> Well, and uh, thanks, man. in uh, John's defense, that's how the singer-songwriter has to play it. The lone wandering troubadour out there uh, pull, <laughs> pulling lyrics from the world that they're witnessing. I don't know if anyone wants to hear, you know, a dash com- dashboard confessional sound alike. So. <laughs> I guess this kind of brings us up to, you know, a year before you decided to, to release Light Cycle. Did you have all the music already? And then was it just a matter of kind of checking off all the rights, you know, or like, was it something that 
you two really had to make the decision on and then go, okay, we can do this. It's going to take about a year. We had a, a kind of a fun process. I think it's a, it's, it's a grand experiment in some ways because we, it's a new, a new territory for us. And also there's not a ton of precedent within our space for it. So we're kind of like thinking a lot through what, what it would look like and how to also pick the tracks and everything like that. We have a, very close friend and also colleague Bobby Gum, who um, helped us in in kind of curating and what he would think would work, and then what you know we kind of took a ton of songs and narrowed them down ourselves, and then asked him to narrow them down, and went back to us, and kind of had the, a a good chunk of the year kind of just figuring out what we were going to do in that in that space, and then we also wanted to make it interesting from kind of like as, as showing kind of our personality and stuff like this through through the um, artwork and through the promotional materials. And so we spent a good amount of time on that as well. And just kind of see, you know, what it would be. We also, re, you know, are releasing and selling a record, like a actual vinyl. And uh, we're both kind of vinyl nuts. So, you know, we're excited to allow people to, the quirk of being able to buy a vinyl a little bit too so well and just the quality you know i bet the vinyl sounds even better i mean i bet there's just a richness that that comes through it yeah dynamics being a very important part of this music really do uh, translate well into the vinyl realm and so we're, we're excited to be on that medium just as a little bit of fun just because I had to play Suzuki music as a kid, so my favorite track off of Light Cycle was Sonata 8. <laughs> so I just appreciate the nod. You know, as I was listening to the album, it also really introduced the idea of confidential music doing whole scores, you know, doing doing a lot more than just the uh, trailer. Because there was, like, a strange continuity in listening to all these songs from different trailers, but the music and the instrumentation... And the mixing choices were actually the thing that was most continuous through all of the tracks. Has Confidential Music done whole scores and then soundtracks? Um, we have actually done scores together for documentaries and also you know, nonfiction and fiction. We're totally open to that. I feel like it's an interesting world. Whenever you enter kind of a side of any industry, you know, you have to overcome kind of, if, especially if you're coming from a different side. You have to overcome a certain framework of how people see you and how people um, relate to your music. It's kind of like in that same thing, you know, of what Kyle was pointing out, like, oh, like if I were to release some singer-songwriter stuff, it's completely different type of music. So, you know, the people who would be coming to us for epic you know, strings and orchestra, blah, 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 may not, you know, be, like, interested in the other side. Well, it's similar, I think, in, you know, oh, they do trailer music to to be like, oh, wow, they could, you know, score the whole film or whatever. Other than, you know, that, I I mean, we're, we're open to it. It's, it tends to be, um, from what we've noticed, you know, more political on that side that um, what have you done and, you know this kind of thing so it would definitely take someone who is wanting to try something new in a way i know that happened on something similar happened on the score for gravity where the guy who did that was normally doing like uh advertising 
music or something. Uh, and that score is amazing. Ended up really cool. And, you know, there's, there's the reality of, of our head being down, focused in trailer music, which I won't say that we miss opportunities, because I don't think we do, but we definitely are in our trends. We're, we're pretty dug into to our current role. But, yeah, definitely not opposed to it. Doing the films we've done, working on movies is, is a lot of fun. What's currently going on with confidential music? And then, you know, how do people get a hold of you? And then how do people listen to... I just think this is a really smart presentation of a body of work that people have been working on. And so I just appreciate it. Thank you. Um, as we named the company after this, Confidential Music, when we're in, in development on things, we're not terribly allowed to talk about much, if anything at all, to be honest. So we are currently working on some, some pretty cool movies that will be coming out here for some cool trailers that will hopefully be coming out in the next few months. And then as far as people uh, looking out for this music, we're under a confidential MX and it's streaming everywhere that, that you stream music and the album's called Light Cycle. Our vinyls are for sale on our website, confidentialmx.com. And yeah, stay tuned for more. We don't have any immediate plans to release more music, but it is something that we are interested in continuing. Yeah, I think for anybody listening who really loves an emotional roller coaster and loves listening to movie scores, I think this album is something you should really try to pick up because if you enjoy vinyl, I mean, it's going to take you on a roller coaster and I think it's going to bring you to a lot of fun places that only a musical, emotional painting can kind of bring your internal space. Is there anything else you would like to say, John and Kyle? I think you put it really well, Josh. And uh, when it when it comes to be a roller coaster, or like your kind of like reason for listening, kind of a unique way to experience. I mean, if you're driving in your car, or if you're just sitting at home, quarantined for you know COVID, whatever, it's a unique experience, and also kind of like a fun way to be able to think maybe more deeply about things, or or to process things. Uh, I have a I have a good friend who who is. He says he's, uh, you know, he listens to it to be, to be able to process stuff and to be able to think strategically about stuff or whatever. I was like, wow, I haven't even, I haven't even thought of that as like something that you know someone would do. But I, but I can see that being maybe fun. Yeah, it is very cathartic. It is a cathartic experience because the way the emotional roller coaster hits, there's calmness, there's happiness, there's joy, there's there's chaos and then it kind of descends into you know sometimes more calmness but the trailer music is very cathartic so in a way it could help the listener kind of just work through their own movie that's going inside of their own head you know so I never thought about that that's kind of my my exact sentiment in it is that I, I hope people can use this as you kind of building anticipation for a film with trailer music building anticipation as they go throughout their day-to-day life and hopefully it impacts people in a positive way and makes the mundane slightly more exciting because it, it definitely does for us and we're excited to be able to share it. I agree with that totally. I was just cooking into the kitchen and whatever I was cooking was brilliant. <laughs> it didn't even matter. It was just like... Fried rice is amazing. I've never made a better meal. Well, I just want to thank you again. Is there anything else? 
that you would like to end on or or anything else you would like to say because I've asked you a lot of questions. I really appreciate the time on the on the podcast. Yeah, th- thank you for your line of questioning and um, and putting the time into to listen to the music. It it uh, yeah it makes makes all the difference for us and your your kind words are, are flattering. Thank you so thanks for all of this. It's a pleasure to be here. I just want to thank John Hansen and Kyle Bian. These are just such valuable lessons that we get to hear from the front lines of filmmaking in the world today. And the music that goes into the film, sometimes we always don't get to see or hear or even know where it comes from. But to know that there's this high level of thought that goes into it in order to really feel the emotion of the story that's been boiled down into a one or two or three minute trailer. So I hope everybody enjoyed this episode. And please, if you like this episode, share it with a friend. And then listen to the album Light Cycle with that friend. The music used is from Michael J. Deller of the Budos Band and Charles Bradley and his Extraordinaires. We will see you next time on the American Filmmaker Podcast. (laughs) 